Well, both in Jared's singing, Trevor mentioned it, and so did Teresa. They said, faith is the most important thing we have. And we're going to talk a little bit about faith today. But I have to be honest with you, when it comes to faith, faith is not a flash in the pan. Faith is something that takes a lifetime to mature. It takes a long time. And some people want faith to mature like that, but truthfully, God uses trials, patience, tribulation, suffering, COVID-19 to build faith. But here's a problem. I'm a human being, and I, I don't like waiting. And also, as a human being, I want to see things. I want to see results. I want to see and touch and taste. But faith asks me to trust in things I can't see. That's hard. I don't like that. Specifically, faith asks me to trust an invisible God. To trust His character and to believe that He is good. Through this, are you trusting in God right now or are you just, are you, you know, uh, you know losing it? Or do you trust God? I read this phrase this week. And this is a fascinating um, thought. There are Few things more offensive to someone than saying, you know, I don't trust you. Like when you tell your child to do something or say, hey, I got taken care of. And if your kid looks at you in the face and says, Dad, I don't trust you. Wow, that cuts. Or you tell your spouse, you're going out with your friends? I don't trust you. Ooh, there are few things more offensive to someone than saying, I don't trust you. How do you think God feels? How do you think God feels when He's done everything for us, and yet, I would say, if you're watching, day to day, we, we often say that to Him. God, I don't know. I don't know if you have everything under control. I'm losing it. Well, today, um, we're going to talk about a, um, a real difficulty that all of us have when it comes to faith, and I'm going to call it the difficulty of traveling down Route 73. This was my dad's favorite psalm, and as we've been deciding on what to preach during this very strange time, we have picked stuff out that matters a lot to us, and I would, I would say Psalm 73 has been a psalm that my dad would send me often because he struggled with trust, and he was real honest about it. And he knew I tr struggle with trust. And so he would send me verses from Psalm 73 to keep me going. And if you've never heard of Route 73, I think you're going to like this sermon today. It's more like a pilgrim's progress. We're going to walk through the mind of a man named Asaph. So if you turn there, you'll see that Psalm 73 says at the very beginning, a psalm of Asaph. He was a musician. So he wrote this poem, this song, but what it will do, it will take us into his brain and we'll feel what he feels. And it's strange because it's almost like Asaph was in my brain. And you're going to see, you're gonna, as you read this, you're going to say, 
has, has Asaph been in my mind too? Because what this psalm will do, it'll, it's a seven-stage path from bitterness. And by bitterness, I mean those times when we say, God, why aren't you taking care of me? All the way to, okay, I trust in you. I trust you. And it leads us on a seven-stage path. I have um, put together this map here. It's called Route 73, From Bitterness to Belief. I posted it yesterday on Facebook. Maybe you print it off. You can put it on your phone. But it's it's a map that kind of is a mental grid of how we think. You, you're like, what, what does this have to do with anything? You're going to see, because this is what Psalm 73 does. It takes us down Route 73. And it's a dangerous route if you don't watch out. So it begins, it begins by going down Faith Highway, Route number one. And what we're going to see is that after a while, people get tired of traveling down Faith Highway. And they see this sign that says Route 73 to the right. It's Faith's off-ramp. And it begins in verse 1. And so here's what David or Asaph says. Truly God is good to Israel. To those whose hearts are pure. And in that statement, truly God is good, it's like he's trying to remind us, did you know God is good? Because verse 2, he says, but I'll tell you what, as for me... I almost lost my footing. I almost gave up. My feet were slipping. And I was almost gone. So when he says here, as for me, he's saying there are points in our life where we handle faith very wrong-headed. It, it's, um, it's when our faith is tottering. You know, it's, I, just, I, want off, I want off. Is there a time in my life when I can just exit? When I can just quit thinking about God for a while? When I can just quit? I need a rest. I'm sure you felt like that. I'm sure you felt like it doesn't seem like God knows what I'm going. Has He forgotten me? Here's what Psalm 13 says. How long will you look the other way, O God? Restore the sparkle to my eyes or I will die. By the way, I'm using the NLT so you can follow along with that. But the psalmist is being very honest. As for me, I'll be honest with you, I almost lost my footing. I just wanted to quit. I wanted to give up. The psalm begins where the human heart wonders, is God really for me? Is He really for me? Often in my sermons, I say this is the most important question faith answers. Because in the darkness of the soul, we wonder, is God for me? Is He good? Truly, is God good? That's why... That's why Asaph has to begin by saying, truly God is good. He is good. But I'm human and I need daily reassurance. I need daily reminders concerning this fact because my heart is so quick to go dark. It's sad. It's sad, especially when you're a person who thinks you've been dedicating your life all these years to God and it just doesn't seem like there's any point because it's not turning out my way. So we travel down Route 73 and we come to stage one. Stage one, I'm going to call Envy City. This is our first stop. Imagine you're driving your car and you're tired. I mean, faith gets long sometimes. All you see is corn. 
if you drove through Nebraska. I've seen enough corn. And you see this nice sign, uh, X73, and it has a sign that say Envy City. You've heard the song, Take Me Down to Envy City. Now that's Paradise City. It's a lot like that. But here's what Envy City's like in verse 3. Read what verse 3 through 8 says. For I envied the proud when I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. Can you hear his frustration? Verse 4. They seem to live such painless lives. Their bodies are so healthy and strong. They don't have troubles like other people's. They're not plagued with problems like everyone else. They wear pride like a jeweled necklace. Clothe themselves with cruelty. These fat cats have everything their hearts could ever wish for. They scoff and they speak only evil. And in their pride, they seek to crush others. So here's how he describes the prosperous, or the proud. He calls them the prosperous. Verse 3, that means they have a lot of material things that I wish I had. You know, when you drive down into Envy City, look at the houses. Oh, man, manicured lawns. Who has curved bushes? I don't. I get crabgrass. What, are you kidding? You drive down the street and Rolls Royces are zooming past you while my car is oh, just turned 200,000 miles over, you know? And they look at you like, what are you doing in my town? The problem, verse 4, said they have painless lives. As you're driving down Envy City, you know, everybody's jogging in that nice jogger suit. You know, they have a nice visor on. They've got an Apple Watch so they can keep calories that are hooked up to the satellite. Got the nicest tennis shoes while I run in my dad's old army boots. You know how it is. Verse 4 says they're healthy and they're strong. Do you ever watch commercials like you're watching sports and you watch commercials and they're always having these retirement commercials and the people are 80 but they look in better shape than you and you're like, how do they do that? They're always smiling. This is what's happening in Envy City. And verse 5 says, they don't have troubles like other people's. I was writing down a list of troubles. Here's a list of troubles that the average person has. Bills. Non-stop bills. Feel overweight. <laughs> you look in the mirror and you're like, oh, ah. Oh. 20 extra pounds. Arguments with your kids. Engine light is always on. You have a toothache. You got to get a pulled tooth, but nobody's open. So you, you know, you just swig a little bit more vodka. I don't do that. Dean Pulling does. I got to work overtime. Do you have a lot of dandelions and moles in your yard? Boy, they don't. Chauffeur kids, instead of buying them their own New, brand new 2020 Cooper car. You know, their cool little car. I drive them around. And they say, Dad, drop me off a block ahead. I'm kind of embarrassed. Vacation is spent watching Netflix while the rich get to go to Venice. <laughs> what are you doing this, this week for vacation? Oh, we're going we're gonna to watch uh, another episode of Survivor. What a time we're having. Yeah, I don't. I walk the golf course instead of a, you know, golf cart. You're happy your kids get accepted into GRCC, not Harvard and Yale. You know, normal. They don't have the normal problems. That's the whole point. And look what it says 
It's interesting how it says this in 7. These fat cats have everything. They have everything the hearts could ever want. And in verse 8, they even scoff and mock God. They have no time for God in verse 9. I see them. See, that's the thing about Envy City. It's based on sight, not faith. And so I see them in my flesh. It's, it's kind of like catnip. You know, it comes alive. Man, my bone, I want that. I, w- I want that. I want it. Notice the thing about Envy City. Everything is immediate gratification. Everything. Which brings us to stage two. You drive through the city. Every house is fantastic. You know, you kind of want to sit around in this town for a while, so why not stop off? And you come up to this curve in the road, and there on the right is this coolest little cafe. I call it Confusion Cafe. It has, has little umbrellas in the front. You can smell, they're pumping out, you know, the smell of the coffee. You can smell mochas and lattes and paninis. And the menu, it says they have cool avocado egg toast and hummus. So you go and you grab some coffee because you think you're sophisticated. You go in there and everybody's kind of dressed, smoking a little bit, cigarettes, you know, because when you smoke, your eyes crinkle and the smoke wafts up and you think you're Humphrey Bogart. You know, you think you're really sophisticated. Miles Davis jazz is playing in the background. And everybody speculates. And they talk about life. And here's what they say, starting in verse 9 and 10. They boast, you know, the rich people, they're saying, you see all those guys in town, man? They boast about the heavens, you know? They mock God and they don't they get away with it. Their words strut throughout the earth. So, verse 10, the people are dismayed and confused. They're drinking in all their words, saying, man. And who are the people? They're the crowd. They're the majority. And they're drinking in all their words. And when you drink in the the words of the people that live in the city of envy, you ask this question. Should not material reward be based on righteous behavior? That's So the better I am, shouldn't I get more? It's the main gripe against God, honestly. God, I'm a good person. Why don't I get more than I... Maybe, maybe, the, maybe the people in every city have a secret I'm missing. What is the success formula? I want to have the best life now. And maybe the cat, fat cats know something. I don't know. So what they do is instead of trusting God and His Word, they, they don't listen to Him anymore. Like, look at what it says in verse 11. What does God know? They ask. As Miles Davis is pumped through the speaker. What does God know? I don't know. And then they're sure God is not someone you can trust, so they ends in verse 11 by saying, does the Most High even know what's happening? He's kind of senile and clueless. And if you're in that cafe long enough, you kind of want to, man, these people are cool. I want to I join in with them. They're so right. You say to yourself, if, God can't beat them. I'm going to join them. That's what verse 12 says. Look at these wicked people. (laughs) 
They're enjoying a life of ease while their riches multiply. So they, they must know something God doesn't know. Sure is better to associate with the upwardly mobile, isn't it? The sophisticated elites, the casually cool, the hedonistic partiers, than this boring, stiff, straight-laced group that calls themselves the church. I, I've been thinking through this because this is more of a devotional message. Have you ever noticed, especially when you're online or with your friends who went to church for a while and then they leave, have you ever noticed how easy it is for the crowd to find faults with the church? It's easy to find faults with the church. But when the world has these same faults, you, you, not only do you let them pass, but you almost give them kudos for being rude, obnoxious, and ridiculous. But if the church is rude, <laughs> see? Bunch of hypocrites. It's weird to be in Confusion Cafe too long because you start thinking yourself as a little bit better than those church people. Then what happens is you start driving on the road and you get to this bridge. And it's a very tall bridge. It's a very bad place to be because you get, you, the car won't go over the bridge. So you've got to get out of the car and you've got to climb up this steep top and you're overlooking this river that's flowing and it's deep and it's treacherous. And I call this the river of regret where you look over and you're like, verse 13 says, did I keep myself pure for nothing? Did I keep myself innocent for no reason? Huh. Because the noise of the crowd is convincing. The more I listen to their arguments, the more I become persuaded that I've dedicated my life to something that really does not reward me in the least. So I look over that river and I'm like, why don't, why don't I just quit? Why don't I just jump? It's been a wasted life. I begin to regret living by faith. Did you know Satan is subtle, man? He's so subtle. He's so sophisticated. If he can't get me to stay not committed to Christ, what he will do is start making me feel embarrassed for following Christ. It's weird how people get like that. I look at the proud man's life, I compare it to my own. I look at his car, I compare it to my own. I look how they can just have a great time while I'm trying to stay pure. And I wonder, was it for nothing? Look at verse 14. I get nothing for my trouble, and every morning brings me pain. Look at these words. Every morning? I get nothing? Here's the deal. When you listen to ungodly voices, when you compare to people that run after materialism, you start becoming mired in what I'm going to call catastrophic thinking. Verse 14 is the word nothing. I get nothing but trouble? Really? All day long I have pain? Really? Every morning you wake up, it's pain? Seriously? Come on. But catastrophic thinking overwhelms me and I feel like everything about my life, everything, everything is falling apart. Everything. 
That's catastrophic thinking. I, I put together a sheet, even um, when I counsel people, I call it anxiety's deadly thinking. If you ever want this sheet, I, I have it. Just text me, I can send it to you. But some of anxiety's deadly thinking will catastrophize, saying, I will see the worst possible outcome in any situation. Negative filtering, I only see what's bad. I only, see, I only see what's negative. I don't see any good. I discount the positives in my life. I, oh, well, you know, you're young, you're smart, you've got, really, you've got a great, well, but you don't, that's discounting the positives in my life. Fourth one is black and white thinking. If it's either really bad or really good, and it's never really bad or really good. Life's hard, which is really overgeneralizing. Since I failed there, I'm going to fail in everything else. Since the government didn't do what I want, everybody is against me. It's overgeneralization and then emotional reasoning is basically letting my negativity poison everything else. That's what happens when you're in this river of regret. You regret living faithfully. It's terrible. It's a very bad, bad place to be. Are you there? Like, have you been looking too long at what other people have and comparing it to yourself? Thinking that that's what really defines a person? Have you been listening to voices that think they're so cool and that they really think that they've thought through the issues more than you, which is probably a lie? Have you ever regretted living for Jesus? Because what will happen is after you get over this bridge, the road will end and there's somebody at the end of the road that says, hey, come here. But it's weird because there's this forest. It's a, it's a small patch of trees. And then through this forest is this little trail and the guys follow me up here. And at the end of this forest is this chapel, this little chapel in the woods. It just kind of came out of nowhere. And this person who's inviting me into this chapel has, has scars on his hands. He says, come on in. Let's talk. It's really quiet there. You can hear birds chirping. The canopied trees are all around. And you start, you start listening to the silence. Look at what verse 15 says. If I had really spoken this way to others, spoken like what? Verse 14 and 13. If I would have spoken like what I learned in Confusion Cafe to others, I would have been a traitor. I would have been a traitor to your people. Who's he talking to? To God and his people. If I would have spoken this stuff, that all of this is foolish, I would have been, a, I would have been committing treason. But what happens into that chapel, into that quiet, into that place where God meets with me, he has sent a spy into my heart. It's called my conscience. My conscience will cry foul when I get too close to blasphemy. When I disparage God a little bit too much, my conscience will say, Chris, stop being a traitor. Stop it. You know, sin is always an issue of loyalty. It's always an issue of who am I going to bow my knee to? 
And if God owns you, He won't let you go too far. He'll convict you. And He'll say, you're getting close to treason. Because it's treason for me to ignore that the only reason I'm alive right now is because of His grace. It's His grace. So watch how this continues. Verse 16, So I tried to understand why the wicked people prosper. But man, what a difficult task. There are things that are beyond human reason that you've got to be very careful about. You will never understand it if you try to figure it out. Some things are better left alone. It takes amazing humility, what I would say goodness, to admit that you're unable to see the whole picture correctly. Truthfully, I have been wanting to figure out this COVID-19. And the more I try to figure it out, the more crazy it becomes. And I realize I can't do it. And sometimes I just have to shut off social, social media. Just be quiet and say, God, I don't get it and I can't fix it. I can't fix it. That's what this verse is all about. Verse 16 is basically saying, you know what, I don't get why the people are so rich and I'm not, or why it seems like they got no problems and it seems like I do, but you know what, I can't figure it out. And then verse 17, something happens. Then, then, then is the word usually meaning at the end of my rope. Then, I went into your sanctuary, O God. What a cool phrase that is. O God. I meet God. And when I meet God, everything changes. Radically. Changes radically. That's why he says, then I went into your sanctuary, O God, and I finally understood. And he's going to talk about the destiny of the wicked, but stop there. I finally got it. When I see God, I finally get it. We don't take enough time of quiet to get to know God, because it's in the sanctuary of God, entering the place where He is, where I am utterly transformed. I was thinking through this. What happens in the sanctuary of God? Psalm 27.4 says, it's a delight. Psalm 26.8 says, it's where His glory dwells. Job 31.23 says, it's where His love resides. Job 13.11 says, it's where His majesty is, and it's a terrifying majesty. Moses wanted to see his glory. And you know, God, God let him have a glimpse of it. It's one of the most um, craziest stories. It's Exodus 34, 33-36. Moses would go and see God. He couldn't see Him directly, but he'd hang out with God. And then after he hung out with God, he had to put a veil over his face because his, he was, his face was, was scary. It was bright. And the people said, put a veil over your face. I wonder, because 2 Corinthians hints at it, that that can happen to us. I was thinking, what, ha what, what is the essence of being with God? And, you know, and I'm trying to, I was thinking through this because I don't know how to describe God but two ways. He's sublime beauty. Sublime means indescribable beauty and He's exquisite terror at the same time. When I'm in the presence of God, I want to be there, but I don't want to be there. 
So I was thinking through three implications. This God, when you meet God, you start to say, this God is really real. And did you know riches melt in His presence? Material means nothing in His presence because He's everything. Second thing is this God is completely, totally in absolute control. So why am I so worried? I read Psalm 8 this morning and it said He hung the moon up. He hung it up. He Does He palm it like a basketball? That's amazing. Verse, uh, and the third implication is that means every word, every action, every motivation that I do to serve Him is recorded. So you are not wasting your life when you're living for Him because it's being recorded. <laughs> it's not a waste. Which leads us to stage five. What happens when you go into that chapel You go into the front door and then it locks behind you and then this man with the pierced hand grabs your hand and says there's only one way out and it's a back route. It's a back trail. There's no more road to follow but this path. And he takes you to this path around the city on the back side of the city. And the first thing is you get to see the back side. You get to see the city for what it is. And what happens is all of these beautiful houses, they're collapsing on a cliff. It's all falling in. Listen. Listen to verse 18. Truly, you put them on a slippery path. Huh. And send them sliding over the cliff to destruction. They look great when you first enter into town, but if you see them for really what's going on, they're eroding. They're eroding. This is not something we should rejoice about. We shouldn't have Schrodenfrieden, Frieden, Jared, that German word, which means I'm so happy they're losing it. No. Slippery, it's a slippery path to destruction. Wealth cannot ransom a person's life. Psalm 49. And look how fast it's destroyed, verse 19, in an instant. In an instant they are destroyed by terrors. Destruction happens fast. Even though it feels like These people get to enjoy their wealth for a real long time. When upheaval and demolition come, it will make a mockery out of all the pains of human accomplishment to get there. It's just in an instant. Truthfully, we prayed for the cranes. It was a massive accident. An 18-year-old boy died in an instant. These beautiful cars they had were crushed in an instant instant in an instant look at what he says in verse 20 when you arise O lord that means when god's ready to move when he's ready to do something because he's patient he's full of mercy but when he arises this could be one of the scariest verses in scripture when you arise O lord you will laugh at their silly ideas as a person laughs at dreams in the morning. Proverbs 1, 25 and 26 says, uh, you ignore my advice, I'm going to laugh at you when you're in trouble. Oh, this is not something to be happy about. God's vengeance is final and breathtaking in scope. In an instant. That's the reality. Which brings us to 
Jesus will keep taking us along this path. He shows us what's going to happen to them. Then He takes us up on this hill and we can see everything. We can actually even see the end of where faith takes us to, which is the celestial city, as Bunyan would say. It's, you get to see it all up at this clear hill. You get to see it all. Not just what God's been doing, but it's so clear you see your heart. And look at what happens, verse 21 and 22. Then, after he sees what really is going to happen to them, then I realize that my heart was bitter. That I was so wrong. I was so wrong for not trusting God. And I was torn up inside. I was so foolish and ignorant. You know what, God? I must have seemed like a senseless animal. A brute beast, as the NIV says. A non-thinking person. When you're up on Clear Hill, you realize that this, this is really more about me. I've been self-deceived when I want and hunger after what's in Envy City. And the first thing I notice is my bitterness. I think I deserve more. What do I deserve? Do I deserve more than He's already done for me? Honestly. Bitterness has the idea that I deserve more. But when I was on Clear Hill, I realized my heart was bitter. Oh, I need to change. I need to change. I need to quit being so jealous. It's interesting. I was close to bailing out. I went off on Route 73, but you know, it's God's the one who woke me up to where I'm at. The God who has done everything for me was not only doubted by me, but blame. My wicked heart blames God when I don't get what I think I deserve. But what's ironic is God uses that for me to get to know Him better. He, take, he has such mercy that He allows me to be angry for the fact that it helps me realize that I, He's the one I needed the whole time. You can say it like this. How foolish it is to forget all the blessings I have now that I enjoy. I have my health, I have my mind, I have my family, I have food, I have a roof on my house, I have a beating heart. If I have a beating heart, I have hope. And so this clarity hill helps me to say thank you. Thank you for not pounding me the moment my stubbornness and bitterness came in. For not getting mad when I smelled that panini in Envy City and said, God, why don't I deserve that? The greatest line of all is verse 23. Verse 23 is the greatest moment in life. Ah, yet I still belong to you. Even after my treacherous heart, God will not let me go. Verse 23, you hold me by my right hand. You don't let me get away. You don't let me get away. I remember when I was a little kid, we lived on a pretty major highway. We'd have to cross that road often. We'd go to the pool or we'd go to the lake. And I'd just be so excited about going to the pool or the lake, my dad would grab my hand and he would pull me through so I wouldn't get hit by a car. And I was just kind of oblivious. God will pull me through. He will hold me fast. And then what happens, then He'll take me down this path. Even if you look on that map, you kind of still can see Envy City. 
but he brings me back to the road of faith. And then he hooks me up with a new driver. It's the Uber on-ramp, I'm calling it. Uber spiritual on-ramp. Look at what it says. This is so cool. Verse 24, you guide me with your counsel. Who is my counsel? Well, the counselor. He will start leading me and driving me. And where is he going to drive me to? Oh, leading me to a glorious destiny. Oh, that's not a bad deal. The wonder is that I'm still included in seeing his glory. Why is God still... Be, I, I haven't forfeited nor vacated my standing because I drifted. God actually allowed it so I will cherish Him even more. Every taste of mercy makes me fall deeper in love and awe of God. And He sends me His Spirit to help me now. And His Spirit will teach me some things. Verse 25. Who do I have in heaven but you? I desire you more than anything on earth. My health and my heart may fail. My spirit may grow weak. But God remains the strength of my heart. And I like how it's written in the NLT. He is, he is mine forever. He is mine forever. Forever. So you could actually say it like this. You want to sum up that whole... You know what really the Route 73 shows you as you go through Envy City and you go in a cafe and you go up on a bridge you're a little depressed and then you meet God in a chapel and He shows you that actually everybody's going to die. And then you get back to the road and you realize at the end of that whole Route 73, I'm actually the one who has it all. Do you believe that? Sadly, I'm not sure we do. We go right to negative thinking. Right to catastrophic thinking. Every morning I wake up, I'm in pain all day. Are you really? You know, as I was thinking through this, one of my favorite movies, and I blame my mom for this, I like scary movies, is it's um, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Love this movie. And it's about this town that are all normal people and these aliens from outer space take over the bodies and they become lifeless. Lifeless human beings. And so in the movie, you want the people that are really alive to get out of there to escape. That's what Envy City is like. Everybody's the same. We're all going after wealth and money and parties. And look at how expensive my car is. Wow, I, and we're like zombies. And then the Spirit fills us up and we, we wipe our eyes and we say, oh, wow, I'm really the one who has it all. And I, and I don't even, you know what? I'll, I can use my extra money to help some people. Because, he says, my health may fail. My spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength my heart, he is mine forever. He gives one final plea at the end. Those who desert him will perish. So if you just go off Route 73 and stay there, um, you're going to perish. If you buy a house in Envy City, it's fallen in. But as for me, how good it is to be near God. I am now driving down Route 1, 
faith highway and I've made the sovereign Lord my shelter and I will tell everyone about the wonderful things you do. Let's pray. Father, um, help me to tell people about the wonderful things you do. Help me not be worried. Forgive me when I want to get a house in Envy City. Or I listen to those people in Confusion Cafe who just, man, they're so cool. Father, help me never to be treacherous and regret my decision to follow you. But help me still and quiet my soul in a chapel. Go outside for a while and go up on the hill and see, man, I've got everything. And realize that I'm not. My life isn't collapsing. And God, help me to trust your spirit to take me the rest of the way. We need your help. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.